Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated. Make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is when to make an exit plan. Well, it's one of those words we throw around a lot, like, I need an exit plan, or do you have an exit plan? And most of us may know this in the very literal sense of how do you exit a burning building? How do you exit during a tornado? That's how I grew up. I grew up in the Midwest, right? How do you get out of these kind of natural disasters or sometimes not so natural disasters? And sometimes where we are might feel like a disaster. And we're thinking, I need an exit plan. So when we use the term exit plan, we mean a plan that changes your current employment, that exits you from what you are currently doing to something else. And if you're making an exit plan, it's because you want to be safer, healthier, and perhaps more sustainable than where you currently are. And I think that's true for exiting a fiery building as it is for exiting your employment. And I think the important terms are you want something that's going to be healthy and something that's going to be sustainable. If it's not sustainable, it's crisis management. And we want to talk about an exit plan. So we're going, this is part one of two parts of an exit plan. And this time we are talking about when to make an exit plan. What do you think, Takia? Well, I think one thing that we should lift up is that having a plan suggests that you are doing something deliberate and thoughtful. This is not, um, something to be done on the fly. Um, It's something that in the best circumstances you have thought about. Perhaps you've discussed it with trusted mentors and loved ones. You've thought about all of your needs um, financially and otherwise, and you are now moving forward and taking steps to execute that plan. We are talking about waking up on a Monday and quitting your job on a Tuesday. The second part of this discussion will focus on the elements of an exit plan and what you need to really think about. But first, we're going to talk about when you might begin to contemplate making an exit plan. And the first um, sort of scenario that we would lift up is maybe it's a situation where you can't change institutions. Both Monica and I are well acquainted with folks across several disciplines who for whatever reason, can't change the institution where they are right now. It may be that they are landlocked in a certain place or geographic location um, because of commitments that they have there. It may have to do with um, parenting commitments or taking care of a sick relative that they really need to work in the tri-state area or they really need to work in a particular location. I know someone who um, 
doesn't have a lot of flexibility with changing their location because they have a particular health issue. And the best medical care that they have found to manage that health issue is in a particular place. And they can't necessarily think about just moving across the country because they really depend on the expertise um, and the hands-on engagement of a particular medical team. And so you may find yourself where you are in an institution and you are working as an active faculty member and you're unhappy at that institution or you're unhappy with that institutional type. Maybe you are at an R1 and you prefer to be at a small liberal arts college or maybe you actually would prefer to be in community college administration. I mean, it could be a range of different things, but you can't necessarily make a big leap because you have other commitments beyond your work, beyond your role that make it so that changing your institution would be a problem. You got thoughts on that, friend? No, I completely agree. Um, And somewhat, you know, another kind of take on this is sometimes you have a two-body challenge. Right. You are partnered with another academic and it can be challenging to find an institution that is going to hire two academics. Sometimes you're in very similar fields. Sometimes you're not in similar fields. Sometimes there's a need for one and not the other. Um, You're trying to get to the same city, maybe different schools in the same city. But very rarely I've seen it, but very rarely does it work out where both partners have the kind of job they wanted in the same place. And that can be a challenge. And some schools will do negotiating with partner hires and some will not. And you just are working with what you have to work with. And that can be a chance for one of you to think about, well, maybe I don't need to be in the academy or maybe I don't need to be in the academy full time. And think about other things you can do with this wonderful amass of knowledge that you have. Well, keeping your yourself in the same place with people that you love and somebody who you want to be in the same location with. And you want to both have a fulfilling career and use the knowledge and the expertise and the education that you have fruitfully in the world. Yeah, I would just add to that to say, we're in a new moment where you have more women who are achieving and attaining Um, jobs in higher education where they may have a male-identified person as the trailing spouse or as the second body in that two-body challenge. And unfortunately, I have seen that gender bias play out where institutions are less likely to be supportive of the male spousal hire or supporting that um, person's job hunt Because there's this assumption of, well, they're a man. They should be able to do this on their own. And why is this person asking for a spousal hire? You know, it's sort of a a tale of no good deed goes unpunished. You do the work to get hired in this um, competitive position. Now you're trying to negotiate for your spouse or your partner. And because of institutional biases, you may end up with more of a challenge in helping that person secure a role than not. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's real. And that might be a reason to think differently about your um, exit plan or how you're going to manage your relationship to these institutions. Another thought to consider is maybe your institution is financially fragile. Maybe your institution is financially fragile. And what we really are saying is 
Maybe your institution is going broke. <laughs> your institution is going broke. <laughs> it's selling off pieces of itself, its buildings, its land. Departments and programs are being cut left and right. Faculty are being downsized. These are all signs. These are all signs. The writing is on the wall. You might not want to wait until your program gets axed or that part of the building gets locked off. You know, exit plan suggests that you're driving that bus from the front. You're you're in the driver's seat. And when you're in the driver's seat, you can change the, the lane that you're in. You can change the route that you're taking. You can pull over to the median for a minute, catch your breath, and then re-engage. We want you to think about this exit plan as you directing something, as opposed to seeing the writing on the wall at your institution that things are getting smaller and crumbling, and then you find yourself out of a job and forced to make perhaps a quick decision. Speaking for myself, when I feel desperate or really stressed, I don't make great decisions. I'm not saying nothing about you. I'm not saying that that's relatable, but I'm sure some of you are listening just said amen in your chest. Mm -hmm. When I'm depressed or I feel very stressed out, I don't make the best decisions. So if you're in an institution where you're seeing these signs of financial instability, financial fragility, you might not want to wait until the pink slip shows up. It's time for you to start crafting a plan for yourself so that you can make decisions that you feel more comfortable about and more confident in. You know, and this is the kind of thing where you actually can see the writing on the wall. Right. I'm thinking of years ago, I had uh, I have a friend who worked at a university in New Orleans. Katrina came through and schools got hit hard and departments got closed and there was no prep. There was no I saw this coming. It just came and it hit and he pivoted and he pivoted excellently. But it had to be a quick pivot. You know, when financial when institutions are financially fragile, you usually see it coming if you're paying attention, if you're in the meetings, if you're looking around, you can almost Google your institution and know if it's financially fragile or not at some point. And so it's the kind of thing you can see coming. And that might be a time where you say, oh, you know, I think I need an exit plan for my own financial stability. You know, another thing that's very similar to that is you may be at an institution that is that does not have tenure or is shifting from a tenure track process to a non-tenure track kind of process. This is becoming more and more common for a variety of reasons where institutions are really only doing term contracts, one year, three year, five years that are renewable or maybe not renewable. And it does not have the same kind of security as tenure. And again, you might not be able to change institutions or you like everything about your institution except this. And you feel like, well, this is not as secure uh, of employment as I thought it was. Or you feel like you're kind of on a hamster wheel, always trying to work to make sure your contract gets renewed at the end of X period. And you know that it's always going to be like this. Some people thrive on that. That's the way they want to work. There are lots of advantages to it. And many other people find that unstable or destabilizing. And if you are at an institution and there are lots of conversations happening about, I don't know if we need to have tenure jobs anymore, that might be a time to think about an exit plan for yourself. I think a lot of us have assumptions about what our lives are going to be like once we're in whatever role it is we dream about. 
nowhere. Graduate students dreaming about faculty roles, or we are faculty members dreaming about administrative roles, and we have visions about the kind of life that we're going to have and the work that we're going to do. And you may find yourself in a situation where academia is just not the best fit for the work that you want to do. Perhaps you got the dream job. Perhaps you got the job that's closest to the dream job. And you're working at an institution that you aspired to and worked hard to be in. And you look around and you find that the work is just not fulfilling for you. The work that you really want to be doing, whether that's writing or uh, more public facing scholarship, maybe there's something about the work that you feel called to where you are putting a square peg in a round hole. Now, let me be clear. There are those of us in the academy who um, intentionally occupy a kind of oppositional intellectual position with the kind of mainstream discourses in our disciplines. And that's going to create some friction and that's going to create some challenge. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding yourself really in a place where the work that you sacrificed for, the population perhaps that you wanted to work with, and really the kind of day-to-day experience that you aspired and sacrificed to have is not in alignment with what you're experiencing. That may be time to consider an exit plan. And remember, exit doesn't necessarily mean leaving higher education as an industry in its entirety. I try to remind people that one, higher education is an industry, and there are lots of ways to be in higher ed, okay? So make sure you join us for the second half of this discussion when we talk about you know, how to craft an exit plan. It might not be all or nothing. You may choose to change institutional types and keep one foot in and kind of one foot out. There's lots of ways to think about that that we'll talk about in the second half of this episode. So I think that some of us get caught up in this all or nothing idea. And because we can't conceive of what the nothing might mean for our lives, we stay in situations where the work we want to do is not a fit for where we are. If you are finding yourself in that situation, I don't know that it means you need to change your interests. It may be about finding a more suitable way for you to engage the academy. You know, analogously, sometimes you really like the work you're doing. You know it's a great fit for academia, that you have skills and talents and gifts and information that works best in the academy, but you can't do it in the particular institution where you are, and you might not be able to change institutions. Um, I will give an example. Um, I have worked in very small institutions that don't have a lot of administration, period. There just aren't many administrative roles to have. If I had administrative aspirations, there aren't many choices, right? It's like faculty, associate dean, dean, president, right? There's no provost. There are no vice provosts. There are no associate provosts. There aren't even department chairs. So if those were the kinds of things I wanted to do, 
that institution isn't even structured to do that. So that would be one kind of example where you might know what you want to do. You're you're very much locked into an institution for a variety of reasons we've just discussed, but you can't do it in the kind of institution where you are or in the exact institution where you are, but you still have these gifts and skills and perhaps desires and you would like to, you know, live them out or work them out, but you just can't do it where you are. That's when you also might be thinking about an exit plan. Yes, that's true. Similarly, if you find that where you are is compromising the quality of what you're doing, um, you may want to think about an exit plan. And this is complicated because it requires you to really engage in some deep self-reflection and to be really honest with yourself about how you are engaging your day-to-day work. If you are in a role, for example, where you are teaching and you find that you no longer have an interest in or a value around your teaching and working to enhance the knowledge, wisdom, and resources of the learners that you are with, and you're compromising the quality of someone else's learning experience, then maybe this isn't the place for you right now. Maybe it was 10 years ago, and maybe you know, the the bird has flown the nest. Maybe it's time to do something else. Now, let me be clear. We all have bad days. I think that's true in any position. I think that's true if you were, I don't know, the CEO of a corporation. We all have days where, you know, the lesson plan didn't work. The, the, the technology in the classroom was funky. Something happened in a meeting and didn't nobody listen to you. And we all have bad days. But if you're having 30 bad days in a row, 60 bad days in a row, 90 bad days in a row, and you're finding that you no longer have the interest or commitment to do excellent work on behalf of those who you've been um, positioned to serve in your role, then maybe it's time to think about this might not be the right place, or maybe the role that I'm in is not the right role for me at this point. This was a best fit for me five years ago, seven years ago, but at this point, professionally, I need to be doing something else. You know, to me, it's like shoes. Um, I love shoes, but if it's not a nine and a half wide with some arch support, I can't do nothing with it. And when my feet hurt, I'm not a very nice person to be around. So if you're finding yourself in a role that feels like a bad fitting pair of shoes, it might be time to rethink your relationship to that role. What was great 10 years ago might not be great now. What do kids say? Yesterday's price is not today's price. So, you know, don't, don't excoriate yourself for changing and growing and shifting. It's okay. You know, it may be that the dreams and goals you have for yourself as a master's student or a doctoral student, perhaps you met those. And so now it's time for new dreams, right? If we need to put a kind of positive spin on this, maybe it's time for new dreams. And new dreams might include a different role or a different relationship to the academy, which requires you to craft an exit plan. You know, and thinking on that line, sometimes you get bored. Right. Sometimes you've just done something, you know how to do it well, you've done it well, you still could, but you're bored. And you, you know, you could dial it in 
And there's always a season where, you know, you can dial it in and the quality of what you're doing is still excellent. And then there's a time when you're dialing it in and you just, you don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. Don't nobody want to be there. Like there's just no passion anymore at what you're doing. And sometimes you don't see that coming. You just look up and go, hmm, there it is. And so that would also be the same kind of thing, right? Where the quality of what you're doing has gone down because you're just bored and you want to do something new. You want to do something different. And some people, that's how they're built. That's how they're wired. They need to shift every X number of years. And sometimes you can shift in the institution you're at. You can shift within your research. And sometimes that's not the right. You need a bigger shift. You need a different kind of shift. You know, this is one I see a lot with uh, people I know and academics I know, and that is that the academic job is not in alignment with your financial needs and goals, which is a fancy way of saying you are not making enough money to do what you need to do or what you want to do. And there's a cap or you just you can grind and grind and you're only going to make three grand more teaching that summer class. Right. You just need more money. Than you are making. And the time to money ratio is just not working out for what you need, what you need for your life, what you need for your family, what you need for your future. And also perhaps what you want to do. You may have enough to do what you need, but you don't have enough to do what you want to do. Most of us want to live a little bit more than hitting our bare knees. Like we didn't come here to do all of this and get all these degrees and have all this knowledge to be scraping by. Scraping by is not hot. Scraping by is not what's up. It is stressful. One crisis and you are not scraping, you are sunken. And so most of us want to do more than hit our needs. We want to hit our financial goals. And it's highly possible that you are simply not making that for where you live, for the cost of living, for the things that you want to do, um, that their institution is just not paying that way. And you're thinking, you know, maybe I need to do something else. I might need to supplement or I might need to shift altogether into another way of using my knowledge, of sharing my knowledge with the world that is not in this particular, you know, institution and salary range. I would just add to that. I think that um, sometimes if you find yourself in a position where your financial needs and goals aren't being reasonably met by your current employment, there can be a lot of shame and guilt associated with that. Um, Sometimes it's, well, shouldn't I just be grateful for what I have? Or I have more than so-and-so, or I'm doing better than X, Y, Z. So maybe I should just be grateful and kind of put my head down. And to that, I would just say it is perfectly reasonable for you to have financial needs and goals that you determine and that you define. And if you find that there's too much of a space between the two, then that's worthy of being addressed. It doesn't matter if you know somebody who's getting by on bread and water. If you're trying to have more than a bread and water life, it doesn't matter if you have a colleague who is satisfied with their role and they never go on vacation. If you want to be able to vacation quarterly, if those are your goals, those are your goals. So I would encourage you not to sit in judgment of yourself. But again, this requires some deep self-reflection and some honesty around what are my real financial needs and goals? And is my current employment situation in alignment with them? And if the answer is no, it may be time to make a shift. Don't let shame or guilt talk you out of getting your needs met. 
You know, another reason you would might want to think about an exit plan is that you cannot find full-time work in the academy. As so many of us know, the academy has changed drastically in the last 10 to 20 years with, I think, almost 70% of jobs, faculty jobs in higher education being contingent labor, being contract, part-time, what we call adjunct labor. And I know that many people are working five jobs and still have no health insurance at different institutions, teaching several classes, all different preps. And that's tough. It's tough on the only certain number of hours in a day. It's tough on your time. It's tough on your life. It's tough on your finances. And at this point, that's not an uncommon stage to have right out of a PhD, perhaps for two or three years. But when this is happening for many, many years and you're not able to get out of this kind of loop, which is increasingly common, it's a good time to think about an exit plan. I I know we have both worked with people in this kind of setting. What do you want to add, Takia? I would just add, as someone who started my teaching career in the academy as an adjunct, as contingent labor, that if you find yourself in a position where you're only able to patchwork together these adjunct roles or these contingent jobs, that is not a referendum on how good you are as a teacher, as a classroom practitioner, as a scholar, as a writer. The job you get, the work you secure is not necessarily always a reflection of how good you are in doing that work. So don't allow that reality to make you second guess what you're bringing to the table. We're seeing more and more people in higher ed for whom contingency is the name of the game, for whom patchworking together positions across more than one institution is how they've been paying the bills. And I have no negative judgment about that. You know, we do what we have to do to to get it done. You know, where I'm from, they say, get it how you live. So if that's what it is, then that's what it is. And there's no shame in that. But if you find that that's the way it's been for many, many years, and you have a desire for a different kind of position, and you've never really been able to make that transition, you've never been able to get into a more permanent role, it may be time to think about an exit plan or rethink your relationship to the academy and how you show up in the work that you do and the work that you want to be doing going forward. Just don't get yourself in the Jedi mind trap that your work is somehow fundamentally less than excellent. What we're seeing with the rise of contingent labor is a reality of our industry, not necessarily a reflection on the quality of people working in the industry. Another time that people often think about when to have an exit plan is when you're approaching retirement. So nowadays, many people aren't thinking of retirement in the same ways we used to. Now, we know that people tend to retire from the academy at a much later age because we can do this kind of work until a lot longer into our years, right? Some people don't retire until 75, 80, or 85. Other people see retirement a little bit differently and think, well, I'm going to stop doing this, but I'm not going to stop being active. I'm not going to stop using my mind. I'm not going to stop writing or sharing knowledge. And so you're thinking about what might I do after I retire from teaching 2-2 and going to faculty meetings and sharing theses and 
dissertations kind of thing, if you're at a research one kind of university, what might I do after I do that? So I still am active. I'm still using the knowledge I have. I still have some kind of income. I'm still doing things that bring me joy, still doing things that I enjoy. And that, of course, you can find sustainable. So we had definitely worked in AB3 with clients who are seeing retirement on the horizon. They're three, four or five years from retirement and thinking about what might my exit plan look like as I literally am going to exit this way of being in the academy. And I'm looking to do something else with my time and with my life and with my knowledge. The last one, which I'm sure um, many of you might find relatable, is if you are in a toxic or dysfunctional work environment. And now we hear this kind of language, toxic, dysfunction, thrown around a lot. But, you know, we're talking about something very specific. Um, if you find yourself in a work environment that is more interested in your labor than your ideas, where you feel um, regularly or consistently undermined, where you are um, responding to things situated from your expertise and that is regularly being dismissed. Um, those are things that you don't have, you, you, you know, that's toxic. That's dysfunctional. You don't have to accept that. You don't have to tolerate that. Um, some of us are very embodied people. I know I am. And I had a job once where every time I would go to this place to work, I would have a very um, serious physical response. My mouth gets dry. The hand starts sweating. The headache begins. You know, you're having these physical um, signs that suggest fight or flight. Like this is not a safe, healthy place to be in. Don't ignore your body. If your body is giving you those kinds of signs, I'm not a person who really gets headache. And every time I would go to this one place, my, it's like my body would revolt. Everything in my physical being was saying, this is not safe. This is not good. Get us out of here. So pay attention to that. Maybe the leadership of your institution has shifted drastically during your time there. And their approach to running the institution is so deeply antithetical to the to your values, to the way you want to live in the world, to anything you even want to be associated with. Like, it's so bad you get mad when you go to a conference and the name of the institution is on your name tag. Like, you don't even want anybody to know that you're associated with the brand of that institution because it has behaved in such nefarious ways that are out of step with anything you want to be associated with. We can understand that as toxic and dysfunctional as well. So, you know, think about um, that values alignment. Think about what your body is telling you. Think about the people that you're working with. If you are working with people where the sentiment or the energy is always negative, is always dour, is always about what we can't do. Now, I'm 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 a realist. I understand that there's often a space between the work that we want to get done and the resources that we have available to do it. However, I like to be in environments that feel creative, experimental, aspirational. Okay, well, let's pilot something. Well, who can we partner with? How can we get this done? As opposed to sitting in hour-long meetings about everything we can't do 
every week. Well, what is the point of being here then? We all just going to sit around, well, can't do nothing, and then go back to our offices and proceed to do nothing? I mean, that, that that's not going to work for me. So think about who you're with. Who are you spending time with at work? And what is the vibe? What's the energy? Is it dour and negative and lacking any energy or creativity? That can wear on you after a while. And it can change your sense of what's possible in your own work. Okay. So I would, I would definitely watch out for that toxic dysfunctional work environment. You know, and I, I'd like to add to that. Some places get very comfortable with their dysfunction and almost brag on it. They're so accustomed to things operating dysfunctionally. And sometimes it's not a big thing, but it can erode you a little bit at a time. I am thinking of the kind of places where everything is political, everything, every meeting, there's a meeting before the meeting, the actual meeting, the meeting after the meeting to debrief the meeting and the politic, what you're going to do for the next meeting. And there are too many meetings to do that all the time. And that's what the culture of your institution is. And those kinds of things, you might be able to pull it off for a semester, but six, seven, eight semesters in, that's a lot. Right. Especially when you know or you hear that there are places where that doesn't happen. Okay? I remember I hear tell of other places that don't do this. And you know that this is not how you have to work. Like it can almost become so normal that you think this is what it is. And we're here to tell you that, no, it's not actually what it is. That's not how all of academia or all of jobs have to be. It's an unhealthy work environment and you can get off the roller coaster, right? You can, you know, you can not, you can actually stop going up and down and get off the roller coaster. And that might be a time when you're like, I don't want to do this next semester or for the next five semesters or until I retire. I, I like to have a different kind of work environment. So this is not an exhaustive list, but we do think this is a pretty good, if you are experiencing these kinds of things, that you should really say, oh, maybe I need to think a little differently about what I'm doing with the resources, the skills, the knowledge, and the gifts that I have. Yeah, we look forward to you joining us for the second half of this conversation where we'll be diving into how you craft an exit plan. Again, we want you to make decisions that are thoughtful, deliberate, sustainable, and that make you feel um, confident in your career and in the next steps that you take on your own behalf. Um, this is not about deciding on a Monday that you're going to flip a table in a meeting and be out of a job on Tuesday. How can you craft a plan so that whenever you step into your next you aren't experiencing a gap in your quality of life, that you feel confident and comfortable in what you're doing, and that you can still you know, maintain um, some financial solvency and sustainability for yourself going forward. We really want you to thrive. You know, Here at AB3 Speaks, we always say it's because we want you to win. And when we say that, we mean that. So we look forward to the next half of this discussion on exit plans and how to move yourself to a better, more sustainable, helpful place in your own career. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. 
So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to blackademicbraintrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Blackademic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com because we want you to win. Thank you.